Let me try that again. Move it up a couple buttons. That's right. I always forget to do that. Good morning. Good morning. How is everybody? Good, good. Let's, um, I know, I told me, oh, I, I, I need to remember the Hebrew word for freezing cold. Um, yes, I thought of you when I saw that rain this morning, Terry. I sure did. Y'all, go ahead and take your Bibles out. We're going to turn to Psalm 23. I was thinking this morning as I was on my way in to uh, get ready to do this class, I, th- I thought, you know, I have never taken three weeks to do Psalm 23 before. And that is not a testament to me. <laughs> anyway, all right, we're going to take a moment. And uh, if I could get a volunteer to help me uh, just kind of jot down some prayer list, just a few names. Uh, I don't have any paper with me real quick. I just realized I don't have anything. So if somebody wouldn't mind a volunteer just to kind of keep track of some prayer requests and hand those to me afterwards, just kind of helps me keep track of like maybe the latest news on something or whatever, if it's significant or something we don't already know. But um, what do we need to be praying about this morning? Let's go ahead and state the obvious, the war that's going on. Um, you know, each week we, all, we get to check in on what's going on with Ukraine and Russia, and it's not looking that much better this week than it did last week. Uh, it's looking a little bit worse, so we need to remember our world leaders. For the spirit of truth to reign in our world. That's right. It is. It is. Anybody else? Thankful for the rain. That's right. That's what Brother Bowden over here was saying. Thankful for the rain. I saw that this morning. I was like, wow, that's awesome. That's awesome. Okay, pray for the kids in Africa. We have our brother here from Kenya. And uh, welcome. Glad you're here. Glad you're here. Any? Good. And then, uh, uh, then our, we've got two high school seniors that will be taking that. That's a big thing. All right, good deal. Sorry. I always forget about the mics. Thank you for remembering that. Anybody else? What's going on in your hearts this week? Augustine, how, how did the, uh, how did the uh, wrap-up of the, the, the revival go? How, how was that this last week? Is it good? Good? I wish I could have been there, man. Good, good, good. Anybody else? Not a whole lot of prayer requests this morning. I guess that's probably a good thing um, in some ways. Not, thank you for bringing that up. So Tiffany, uh, Caleb tested positive for flu and strep uh, about three days ago. And uh, then Tiffany dropped a little bit after that. Um, so they're just not feeling very well. So that's why they're not here this morning. But thank you. Yeah, we pray for them on medicine now. So that's a good thing. Yes, ma'am. That's right. Sandy's with us this morning, looking chipper as ever. So that's good. Good, good, good. There will be some spiritual events coming up. One is going on this weekend. I think Max Ann. What is it? 
couple event over in uh, Camp Buntman, isn't she, the Kairos outside? Okay. Women who have been affected by incarceration, oh, either okay. themselves or loved ones, and it's like a closer walk or a walk to Emmaus, and that's going on right now, so I pray that they will just feel the immense love of God. It's so overwhelming. And then the upcoming walk, mm-hmm. walks to Emmaus, so that just... Again, that they'll get what they need to get. Good. Feel love. Very good. Very good. I'm excited about it. This will be my first walk. I plan to go in the spring. So Tiffany's going to go. So it'll be really good. Yes, Augustine. Put it to my mouth. <laughs> uh, I want to pray for the men and women, the prodigal men and the prodigal women to come home. Yeah. Find their way back uh, so they can get their freedom from whatever they're running from. Good. Okay, let's go ahead and get started. Do I have anybody who's willing to lead us in a prayer this morning? Just generally over the things that we prayed about. Don't worry, you don't have to remember every single one, but do I have anybody who's got a burning desire to pray? Okay, all right. Well, let's let Sandy, she'll lead us this morning. That'd be great. Thank you for doing that for us. Please pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, we rejoice in this day and we bless your holy name how good you are. Lord, we are especially thankful for this rain. Oh, what a beautiful thing you're washing off the earth and some of this uh, West Texas dirt that's been blowing around. We thank you for cleaner air and just the renewal. This is a time of renewal and new life, and we are expecting uh, putting old things to death. Help each of us put to death things that are not pleasing to you and help us to rise up and walk with you. Lord, I thank you that I'm walking a little better, a little more spry for the energy and for the uh, many prayers that have gone up on my behalf. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Lord, I thank you for the spiritual retreat for the women who are gathered uh, this weekend and so many people just have really hard lives we can't even imagine and we pray for healing wisdom and the Holy Spirit to be poured out in a mighty way to meet their needs and also for these upcoming walks how blessed we are to be part of a bigger faith community and people who are willing to work and do so many things to show a little bit of the goodness of God pray they will have a wonderful time Lord our world is torn up by war and the enemy is rampaging he's trying to kill steal destroy everything and uh, it's like the spirit of the beast would dog eat dog and king of the mountain and we know those are things that you hate so lord help us to do our part to humble ourselves and earnestly seek you and your blessings for peace in our world and we pray for our leaders that you will give them wisdom and discernment to do what's best lord we're so thankful that tony is here and he's just a joyous person and there's always so many wonderful things going on in africa and pray for an extra blessing on those seniors and the eighth graders as they are taking their tests and the seniors as they move forward into whatever your divine purpose is for them with their lives. We pray for Tiffany and the kids, and we thank you so much for bringing the Brown family here. And we speak life, 
and health and blessings and love, love abundantly over the Brown family. Thank you. And most of all, we thank you for Jesus, our Lord and Savior, our healer, our everything. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Sandy. I really appreciate that a lot. Um, so in my, um, I've noticed in my, since I got in my 40s, I try to not be so uptight and serious about things. Did y'all hear that rumble? That was my stomach. That was one of the reasons, I'll be honest with you, that's one of the reasons why I get nervous about wearing this thing right around here because I don't eat breakfast on Sunday mornings and my tummy's going. So twice while you were praying, I was thinking they think it's thundering outside a bit. So anyway, I really am hungry though. I need to get me some food later, Terry. All right, let's get into Psalm 23. So um, I, I did bring it before you guys a couple weeks ago. I said, hey, listen, we're going to be doing a brand new class on Sunday morning. We're going to be doing uh, at least a year in Psalm 23. No, I'm kidding. Um, but we're going to be doing a few lessons in Psalm 23, but be thinking about what you might want to do with this class. Um, prior to me, my predecessor was doing a fantastic job uh, with some church history and applying that and doing looking at some juxtapositions with biblical um, stories, and I thought that was fantastic. I did get a recommendation uh, this morning, actually, and just going to throw it out there. Um, but somebody came up to me and they said, hey, what, what, about, what about studying the tabernacle in terms of the typology, like how it pertains to Christ or how it pertains to the spiritual life? That's a really fascinating study if you've never done it before. Uh, you think about the, the temple, it's divided in how many parts? Three parts, right? You have an outer part, you have an inner part, and then you got a holy of holies in the middle, right? Have you ever considered uh, the Bible um, divides man into three parts? Did you know that? The Bible divides man into three parts. You have the, the body, that's the obvious one, right? But then you go a little deeper, you have what's called the soul, right? In Greek, the suke, or the nephesh in the Hebrew, and that's your life. That's your life, that's your, that's your mind, your will, your emotions, right? But then if you go a little bit deeper, you also have something called spirit. And it's interesting because what a lot of people don't realize is that the model of the temple is actually a model of the human body. It's a model also of the relationship that you have with God. Think about it this way. When you, when you first approach God, what's the first thing you've got to do when you approach God? You've got to deal with your sin, don't you? Right? So outside, in the outer court, is what? A place of sacrifice and a place of washing. But then after that's done, you go into the holy place. What do you have inside the holy place? A menorah that represents what? <clears throat> the light of God, the light of the Holy Spirit. And then you have the table of showbread. What does bread represent? The word of God. So as you approach a deeper relationship with God, what are the two things that you've got to have? The Holy Spirit and the word. And then when you get to the holy of holies, you get to the table of incense, which represents the prayers of God. Well, you can't get in the presence of God without the prayer. But we'll stop there. That's a good one. That's a good one. I, I want to jump right on the end of that one. That's a, that's a fascinating. That's it's, it's great. So be thinking about it. Because again, that's another picture. That's another image that's offered in Scripture. A very concrete image that teaches a lot of very valuable lessons. Last two Sundays, we've been doing the same thing with Psalm 23. With the image of a shepherd. Somebody who is tasked with the job of caring for sheep watching over them, leading them out to pasture, making sure they go have water, making sure that they are well-fed, taken care of, sheared, uh, manicured, whatever it may be. And we said that Psalm 23 is just a picture, just like the Bible's filled with many different pictures, but this picture is trying to teach us some very valuable truths. 
What are some of the very valuable truths that we're trying to learn here? Well, we've talked about several of them, but I think probably the most obvious on the nose one is how God cares for us, right? So let's go ahead and get into it. <clears throat> Excuse me. And we're just going to read through it, and we're going to kind of pick out a few things as we go. Let me pull my notes back up here. Okay. A Psalm of David, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Because the Lord is my shepherd, I won't have any need of anything, right? Because I put my trust in him. He has the resources. He has the wisdom. He has the knowledge. He knows where to lead me. He knows where not to lead me. He knows what to protect me from. He knows where the good stuff is. He knows where the food is. He knows where the water is. So I don't really have any other need to focus on any other thing other than being a sheep under his care, right? So the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. Let's stop right there for just a quick moment. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. One of the reasons why I'm doing this is because uh, when I got out of first year Hebrew and went into second year Hebrew, we finished that, we got through all the grammar, all the, the yucky stuff. And then when we get into third year Hebrew, we start getting into readings and we start reading through different texts, different books of the Bible, different texts in, in the language. And Psalm 23 really got me because one time I was reading through it, and I don't know why, but you know how sometimes you have little hang-ups when you read the Bible? And it's not that you disagree, you're just kind of like, I don't know what that means, but you may not have taken the time to find out what it means. And it always kind of bugged me, he makes me, he makes me. And I thought, well, what is this? It sounds like he's forcing you to do something. The word there means um, not in the sense that I'm forcing you to do something against your will. He's making something. He makes me. He's making me a place. Does that make sense? I'm not making you do something. I'm making something for you. Okay? So when I wound up doing my translation, because that was one of the things that we had to do, we had to translate each word according and try to be most faithful to the text as best as we possibly could. So um, the way the, the translation I went with is that he, he provides a place for me to lie down. He provides, right? He still made it. He provided it. And he provides a place for me to lie down in green pastures. Now is, where is she at today? Is Janine here? Janine is not here. How's she doing? She's not well. Yeah, she had the same thing, I think. Some of the same kind of flu symptoms this last week. Well, anyway, I was talking with Janine in the office the other day. And she says, you know, I came across this, uh, this Hebraic teacher. He was talking about Psalm 23, and she was telling me all these things that she had learned. And she said, did you know, did you know that, uh, that a shepherd, when, 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 when they're leading the sheep, especially in the wilderness of Judea, down in the southern part, which is where David would have been, right? Uh, right around that area. Grass is not everywhere. Anybody ever been to Jerusalem? We've been to West Texas. Been to West Texas. It's similar. It actually is. Actually, that's a very good point. Southern Judah is very similar to Western Texas in many, many ways, actually. That's a very good point, actually. Good, good. We'll give you Hershey Kiss later for that one. That's very good. I have to remember that. Um, but, uh, but, but he made a good point. made a good point. He said that with, but with the sheep in, in, uh, in, in the Bethlehem area, in the Judean area, the grass is not everywhere. So they have to be picky and choosy about where they lead the sheep, Right? And a good shepherd knows where all the best, greenest patches of grass are. And I didn't know this, but there's actually different words in Hebrew for grass. There's 
a Hebrew word for grass, for old kind of brownish grass that's been there for a long time, that's kind of grown up or whatever, that's not really that great. And then there's another Hebrew word for grass that's just starting to come up. And it's the fresh grass. It's the new grass. It's the tender grass. Guess which word David uses? That one. Why? Because again, he's talking about God here. God is the one who provides the very best of the best. So translate the verse. The verse is saying, this is what David is saying in other words. God is my shepherd, and one of the things that he does for me is he provides a place for me to lie down in meadows of fresh grass. Isn't that a beautiful picture? A couple of you agree. Okay, good. I'm teasing, I'm teasing. All right. Verse 3, he restores my soul. He restores my soul. What do we say soul means? Soul in Hebrew is your life. It's, it's your emotions. It's your attitude. It's your character. It's, 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 it's who you are. It's who you are on the inside, right? And he restores that. He restores that. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for what? For his name's sake. Stop right there. What do you think that means? He leads me on paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Go ahead, James. It's not about you. It's not about you. What else? Okay. She's getting the microphone ready. Yeah, go ahead. That's fine. Go ahead. She wants you to say it again. It's not about me. It is about him. Okay. What about Mr. McMillan back there? You helped me remember, so thank you for that. I appreciate that. Uh, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. His namesake. David, go ahead. That's something that I've wanted to know for years because the you read about the name of the Lord, all throughout Scripture. Jesus talks about whatever you do in my name. That meant something more to them than it means to us. And, and I don't really have a clear image in my head of what, that, what it meant to them. Yeah. So I, I'm very interested in what you're going to tell Okay, tell all right. <laughs> I hope so, you have the answer. No, no, I, ha- I have a answer. I'll put it that way, yes. Um, so the idea of the name, a name in ancient Near Eastern thinking, is very much tied to honor, okay? Think about it. It's, it's really, we're not so far removed from this. Now, we don't have the same idea of honor um, that a lot of, say, clans in Kenya would know about, right? They understand honor and family is very, very important. It's been that way for, since the time of Christ in many parts of the world. But it wasn't so far long ago that you would hear of families in America where people would talk about, don't you do that, don't you mess up our family name, right? We're, we're Whitefields, <laughs> right? I'm kidding, I'm going to tease you. But, but that's true, but there's a certain pride that comes with certain names, and, and there's certain family pressures that come with wearing certain names, right? Um, if I walked in here and, and I told you that my name, uh, I'm from uh, Nashville, Tennessee, I'm a very wealthy person, and my name is uh, Timothy Vanderbilt. It's my name, actually. No, I'm kidding. 
Um, there is a certain, from a worldly perspective, there's a certain gravitas to that name, right? Um, Bill Gates, you know, if, I, if my name was Timothy Gates, I am his son. You know, there's a certain gravitas or whatever that comes with that. In a very imperfect way, that's kind of illustrating what we're talking about with God. Think about God's name. How much gravitas does his name have? Yeah, a pretty big amount of gravitas, right? All right, go ahead, Roxanne. Yeah, it's off. Yeah. Yeah. Battery's going out. Go ahead, I'll repeat for everybody. That's it. Yep. So here's the point that I think that he's making in the text there. Whenever God does something and puts his name on something, he cares about his reputation, right? Let me give you the, what I think is a really good example. In the Old Testament, God put his name on the people of God, Israel, right? He made a unilateral covenant to Abraham. And he said, I will bless all the nations of the earth through you. What was Abraham's part of the bargain? Nothing. This is a unilateral promise that God makes to the people of Israel. Well, guess what? Did Israel always live up to that promise? No. And there were so many times in Israel's history where God says, I've had enough. And so he would boot them out. He would kick them out of the land. He would disperse them. But go back and look at the Old Testament. I wish I could remember, David. There's a passage, and I can't quote it. I don't even know. I can't tell you. I'm like the Hebrew writer sometimes. It's in there. <laughs> I promise. I've read it. Uh, but he says to Israel, it is not for your sake O Israel, that I am about to do this thing. It is because of the fathers. He said, because I don't want to allow the nations around my nation of Israel to say, wow, God made all those promises and I guess he, I guess he couldn't keep them. That was in our, okay, Isaiah. That's where, why it's fresh in my mind. It's in Isaiah. Because Isaiah is promising, God is promising through Isaiah that he's going to bring the people back. Well, what good have they done to come back? That's not the point. The point is, God made a promise. His name is on the deal. And God's going to make sure that he's going to carry it forth, right? So he leads me in paths of righteousness for his, name, his name's sake. Why? Because he's promised to do that for us. I said I would do it. And so if you're pursuing God with your whole heart and, and, and you're, you're going off track over here, then, then that, that's a bad reflection on God. So God says, I'm not going to do that. Is this tied to when God promises, I will give you a new name? It's that idea of I will give you a new reputation? I think, I think so. I think so. I would love to study that out further, but, but, but later on, you're talking about a revelation? It talks about, well, I'll give you a new name. Okay. Uh, yeah, it, it, there's, a, there's a certain power and authority and relationship that goes with naming in, in the Bible. And they're getting a new name because they've reached a new phase or a new place in God's revelation with, with his redemptive history. And so because of that, because they've come out with robes that have been washed to the blood of the Lamb, they've, they've been persecuted, they've, uh, they've stood the test, they've come out of the fires of persecution, now because of that, they will receive a new name.
right? They'll receive a new name. Uh, not perfect, but I do think that there's connections there. Yeah. Kind of like Abraham. Exactly. Like Abraham, whenever he came to a certain point in his faith, his name was changed. His name was changed. His, his name was changed to, to reflect his destiny that was about to change, right? Because I want to make you the father of many nations. My father of many nations, right? Now, use Abraham as an example. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. After God made that promise to Abraham, did he lead Abraham in paths of righteousness? Yes, he did. Every, the rest of Abraham's life, you see God leading, guiding, moving, and shaping that man. Was he perfect? No. Remember Hagar? That thing went sideways real fast, right? Okay. Uh, go ahead, Brother Kate. Another thing about names is, you know, we end our prayers within Jesus' name. Yes. But I think we have used that more as an outline of our prayer, and you've got to say it, rather than really saying, we're just asking you to do this because of the power of Jesus and in right. that name. That's right. Yeah, I, I love, <clears throat> when we say Jesus' name, I think sometimes we do make it into a perfunctory closing to a prayer. But, but in reality, we're recognizing that Jesus is present with us, and we're praying, hopefully, in accordance with his will in the expectation that it will be carried out, right? Because that's what it means. Amen means may it be so. May it be done. May it be according to your word, right? Okay. David, you have another thought? Okay. All right. So look at verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Um, a few weeks ago, I, I told you, uh, I reminded you of that very famous uh, picture that I think was on the cover of Time magazine, that very famous picture of King Tutankhamun, King Tut. And if you remember, he's in that golden sarcophagus. He's like this. And he's holding two items in his hand. What's he holding? A rod and a staff. And I, and I told you it's because in ancient times, that is a picture of a shepherd. And that picture was used for rulers as well. What do you do with the... the what do you do with the, the staff? What's the staff for? All, all of my um, shepherds, raise your hand. <laughs> Teasing. Jim, Bob, you know. What, what, what do you use that, that little hook for? It's a walking stick, but it also you can rescue the sheep. Yeah? Yeah, it's kind of like when my dog's about to do something dumb, I grab it by its collar. Yeah, get back. <laughs> get back out of there. Well, it's the same kind of idea with the, the, the staff. You hook, hook it around, pull, pull the sheep away from danger, right? So the, the staff is for what? Guiding. It's for protecting, right? Correcting, okay? Uh, what about the rod? What's it for? It has, exactly right. Multiple uses. It can be a weapon. Yeah? It can be a unit of measure. Unit of measure. I hadn't thought about that. That's true. What about the staff? What's it for? What do you do if there's a wolf nearby? Run. He said run. Run. And I heard that meme music playing in my background when he did that too. Run. Anything else? Okay, it's a very simple picture, right? There's two, there's two items that they use, and, and, and the picture is, is that God is going to protect you from the enemy. He's going to protect you from the evil one, and he's going to guide you. 
Okay, I think that's the picture. Look at verse 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. So David is describing this incredible relationship that we get to have with this God that we get to call our shepherd. And he says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. In other words, you are aware of all of those in my life who are trying to thwart me. You are aware of the enemy's tactics in my life. You see David, when he's talking about his enemies, he had real enemies, people that wanted to take his life. And, and he said, uh, when I think about it, when it's all said and done, you prepare a table before me. What is a table? It's a place of fellowship. He says, you're going to do this in front of my enemies. That My enemies are going to see the goodness of the relationship that I have with you, that we have together. And you anoint my head with oil. What is that a picture of? Blessing. You anoint my head with oil to the point that my cup, what? You know, it's a funny little picture when I was translating this from the Hebrew. I was so disappointed because my whole life, I almost don't want to tell you because I don't, I don't want it to be a spoiler, but I, it, I promise the picture works. But I always been growing up to think the cup overflows. And when we think of that picture in our mind of, of liquid overflowing, that that's bounty and blessing and you know, whatnot. The Jews, the Hebrews think that that's wasting water. <laughs> Why would we want it to overflow? No, the Hebrew word says, my cup is filled to the brim, right? It's kind of like when my little six-year-old Camden says, Dad, I want some Coke. Uh, I don't really like giving them Coke, but then they look at you with those eyes, and I'm holding one myself. So I take a little cup, and I go, just like this one. I give it to him. He's so sad. But I want more, right? What does he want? He wants me to fill it to the brim, <laughs> right? Because what is that a picture of? It's a picture of bounty and blessing, right? So it's the same picture. It's just that if they had translated it that way, we would have interpreted that to mean, well, he doesn't give us enough, <laughs> right? But when it's overflowing, it makes sense, right? Okay, so the picture in verse 5 is that we're at a banquet. We're at a banquet, Okay, this is a banquet scene, and he's being honored, even in the, in the midst of these enemies who would want to do him harm. He's protecting and guiding me, and now, in verse 5, he's serving me. So I want you to hear all the pictures that David's, that David's trying to highlight here. He guides me. He protects me. He's trying to tell you all the reasons why God's his shepherd, right? He protects me, and he serves me. He serves me, even in the presence of of my enemy. What do you think is, is probably the, the greatest example that you would say in the Bible, the whole Bible, of servanthood? What's the greatest example? That's the one I would pick too, right? Jesus washing the disciples' feet. Here you've got God himself. And in the Old Testament, you've got these pictures of, of Isaiah, you know, or Jeremiah. And when they... When they find themselves in the presence of God, what do they do? Do they sit down on the chair and stick their foot out and go, here, wash my foot? Are you kidding me? Those men fell down like dead men. They said, I, we can't even be in the presence of you because of our sin. Imagine that God getting on his hands and knees. Do you see the reversal, the picture? Oh, if, if that one don't touch you, I, I got nothing else. 
I've got nothing else in the arsenal of a preacher to touch your heart if that doesn't touch your heart. And that's what David is saying. The Lord is serving me. You don't have to do that. And he's doing it in the presence of my enemies. And David is not necessarily saying that he didn't do something wrong to cause himself to have those enemies. Right? Because we know that David did do a lot of things that, to make enemies. But regardless of all that, God is still showing his goodness. Yes, Augustine. To give them the pass, to walk in righteousness, to preach the gospel? Is that why they wash their feet? So, in that the why he washed his feet? Go ahead, what's that? Because to wash their feet so they can walk to righteousness to speak the gospel? Is that why he washed it? So the reason why he washes their feet, if you, if you go back and you, you look at the story, it happens right before he's crucified, right? And they're, they're in the upper room. They, they've just had the Last Supper together. And when they got there, Jesus had told them before, prior, when they were in Bethany, to go there and prepare, get things ready. One of the things that you would do to prepare is that you would make sure that inside the doorway of the house you would have a wash basin that was there because everybody wore sandals back then, right? So when you would go from one place to another, you obviously, what would get dirty the most? Your feet. So if you walk five, six, seven, eight miles to somewhere, by the time you got there, you may not want to take a full bath, but you would certainly want to wash your feet and you would do it before dinner. So Jesus is about to sit down and he's about to have dinner, right, with his disciples. Well, guess what happens? They all get there. And, and here, imagine here you are, you're Jesus, and you're about to take these guys that you've trained for the last three and a half years and entrust to them your message of salvation because you're about to be crucified and died, and you're going to hand the reins over to these guys. And here they go, one by one in that upper room, and not a single one of them offers to be the one to wash people's feet. Because there was always a servant. That's what the servant's job was. Usually when you would walk in somebody's house, there would be a little servant girl, a little servant boy, typically a teenager, preteen, something like that. It, it's usually somebody who's considered the lowest of the low in the family hierarchy. But it was their job to wash the guest's feet. So here comes Peter and Andrew and James and John, and they all walk in and they see the wash bucket and they just go right on in and sit down. Why? Because not a single one of them felt like that it would be something that they could do. They felt like that was beneath them. And you're about to entrust the gospel message to guys who are struggling with that in their heart. So what does Jesus do? Jesus says, I'm going to give them another example. He gets up. He goes to the basin. He starts pouring the water. And the disciples are shocked. Because it's the master doing it. It's Jesus that's doing it. It's the rabbi that's doing it. So when he gets to Peter, he says, Peter says, don't, don't do this. Don't, 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 don't do this. And Jesus says, if I don't do this, you have no part with me. And then Peter says, well, wash everything. Then just go ahead and give me a bath if that's the case, right? Just, just wash me head to toe. And Jesus says, no. You don't need everything washed, just your feet. But what's the point that Jesus is trying to make in washing of the feet? He tells them, go and do likewise. Have this kind of heart. So even at the very end, God is, or Jesus is trying to make a heart adjustment that's going to be needed and necessary to do ministry. Yes? Um, when you said he makes us lie down in green pastures, 
I think he does make us because that's why he got the rod and the staff. And it's for his righteousness and for his blessing. Because we, when the sheep start flowing away, here, come on, come over here. I'm trying to show you something that you don't know nothing about. That's true. So he's making you. You know what I mean? Because you don't, you can't understand the grasp on what he has for you. That's right. Living in this righteousness. So I'm glad that he makes me. That's true. There's been times when God has forced me to do some things I didn't really care to yeah. do, but in the end. Exactly right. Okay, right over here, uh, David, and then our brother from Kenya. Okay. Uh, Psalm 16.5 brings together the point you're making about Please. servant. Uh, Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. So you fill my cup, but it's you that you're filling it with. That's right. So that's the, the pouring out of, of the servant. Okay, over here. Uh, as you were talking, and I was thinking about that, I thought about uh, they didn't get it in Mark chapter 9. Uh, you know, he's on his way to Capernaum, and, he, and they drop back, and, and Jesus says, when they get there, what were you talking about on the way? And they just kept quiet like us when we're caught doing something wrong, like your children do, <laughs> right. you know, right. because they'd been arguing about who's going to be the greatest. Uh, I, we see that a lot in ministry. I see that a lot in Kenya about, you know, we think if you're the greatest and you get served and they didn't get it. And then so he gives them the great example. You know, whoever's going to be the greatest in my kingdom, you got to be a servant. you got to be the least of these. So I think that's a great example. They still, by that time, still hadn't got it. So I think right. it's a great illustration. The last will be first and the first will be last. That's right. Very good. Thank you. Very, very good. Go All right. Go ahead, Terry. You're speeding through this entirely too quickly. Should you we take went, a few more weeks on it, maybe? You went past, he leads me beside still waters and didn't even mention it. And I'm not going to let you get by with that. The rest of these are nice folks, but they're ah. not. So I want to talk about he leads me beside still waters. You do that. You, go right ahead. When you look at, uh, at still waters, it's always a reflection of earth and heaven. Mm. And I think that that's uh, a precursor for Jesus saying, Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. It's a vision that, that I didn't want you to skip by, so shame on you. Well, don't tell me, listen to me, don't tell me that I don't have a comment on that verse. Turn to Psalm 1. Turn to Psalm 1. Let me, let me, let me stop here. Actually, let me give you some homework, and then, and then I'm going to prove Terry wrong and make this comment. Um, no, seriously, though. Uh, I want you to write down um, verse 6, and I want you to circle the word. When he says, see, I can't quote it unless I quote it in the King James, because that's how I memorized it when I was a kid. But, um, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, right? And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. But surely goodness and mercy. I want you to circle the word mercy. Now, some of your translations probably doesn't have the word mercy, does it? Throw them out really quick. What do you got? Love. Loving kindness. No more. <laughs> I was expecting at least five or six. Usually, this word is translated, watch this, probably eight, nine, ten different times. There's a reason. And I'm going to give you some homework. Are you excited about this? It looks like it. All two of you. Here's the homework. There is a hidden nugget under that word, when it says goodness and mercy, there is a hidden nugget of truth under the word mercy. I want you to take your shovel this week and the word of God. I want you to dig in it. 
okay? What, here's the question. Why is that word translated so many different times? What does that word mean? Why does he put it there? And what significance does it have? And I'm going to let you teach the class next Sunday. Okay, um, I'm teasing. Now, I want you to bring that back next Sunday. Now, go to Psalm 1. And this is to, to Terry Bowden's point about he leads me beside quiet waters. Listen to this picture that he uses in Psalm 1. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and his law he meditates day and night. Now, when a person does this, when you get up in the morning and you go to bed at night and you study God's Word and you meditate on God's Word and you focus your heart and your mind and your energies on God, here's the blessing that flows. Verse 3. That person will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of what? Water. Which yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. And in whatever he does, he prospers. The wicked are not like that. They are like chaff, which the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. So he says the righteous are like a plant that's planted strategically right by a stream of water that constantly, constantly gives it its nourishment, constantly gives it its water, constantly gives it, give it food and its root system that's planted firmly by the tree, and there you go, Terry. It's about water. So there you go. He leaves me beside quiet waters. So there you go. It's a tree planted beside quiet waters. There you go. Okay, verse 6 next week. God bless you. Uh, Father, thank you so much for the time that we've been given. Be with us as we worship you, Father. Uh, be with our congregation, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you all.